Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. What's going on, everybody? This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, and we are live here on Masters this week. It's, um, it's an interesting week. We'll get into it. There's a lot going on in the world of real estate, but uh, I hit up uh, my wonderful co-host, Steve and Joe, this past week. I said, we need a guest, somebody that's electric, that's got a lot to say that both of you guys know and is known of, so I think we found him, but before we get into that, welcome, guys. Good to see you again. Hey, hey Tucker. How are you? Hey, Steve. Hey, Rick. Hey, Joe. Hey. Hi, Rick. So let me, uh, let me jump in here, Tucker, and just introduce Rick. Um, Rick Gray, um, Agents Plus Coaching. What's the name of your company, Rick? Agent Plus Coaching. Yep, yep. Okay. I personally have known of Rick for, gosh, four years-ish. Yep. He's done at least one annual event for Premier Property Group for, gosh, the last four years, and he just knocks it out of the park. He's a, an amazing presenter. Um, he's, he's had some groups of, you know, 200 ish, give or take, um, with us and just does an awesome job of, of, uh, are you, are you turning off lights, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what happened. (laughs) Random blackout. Hey, if you pay your bills, Joe, they'll let you keep the the power on. (laughs) I just, I just like all the attention on me and Rick was getting too much at that moment. So I had to do something. (laughs) <laughs> sorry about so, that so no 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 worries no worries and so rick's done a lot of presenting but beyond that in the, for the last year i've personally been coaching with rick and uh it's been a phenomenal addition to my business he's really pushed me and held me um and made me more accountable on a lot of things you know the big things rick has brought to my business is just database you know client appreciation events he he's the reason that i did a uh, a big Back, remember when we used to go to movie theaters? <laughs> we did a big that. movie night. Don't, I yeah. don't recommend that to anybody today, but we did a big movie night. We had, gosh, 300 plus people come to uh, Bridgeport and it was awesome. I had deals. Uh, clo- I'm closing a deal. I'm in escrow right now on one that I attribute to that event. So, um, Rick, welcome to the show. Um, and uh, I know, Joe, you've, you, you've known of Rick for a while as well, right? Yeah, probably not as well as as you do, and I think every a lot of people tuning in um, are are going to know your name and and mm-hmm. what you've done. But for those that uh, don't know you that well, it's always nice to kind of start off with the tail of the tape, you know, like your elevator speech. Here's my resume without you know standing on a scaffold, but just a couple of highlights, and then uh, we'll dig into the stuff everybody needs to know. Yeah, well, in real estate, so I got licensed in uh, April of 1994, so 
26 years ago last month, hard to believe. So Bend, Oregon, uh, my wife and I got married in Bend. I got my license over there. It's funny, I worked at Mount Bachelor as a ski instructor that winter, the, year, the winter before, trying to figure out what to do with my life after I graduated from college. And I worked at Nike at the World Campus. I was a personal trainer and started realizing that in the corporate world, I thought I could outsell everybody around me and do more, and yet I was gonna make a lot less money because I was a new guy. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. I gotta get into like commission sales or something. So my mom, my dad, who was a builder, and I all got our licenses together in April 2004. I'm sorry, 1994. And my dad didn't ever really do much with it. He was a builder, so he just built houses. My mom sold his houses, and I started selling on my own and learning the ropes. I actually sold in Sun River for six years. And then my wife and I moved back to West Lynn, where we're from, and I sold in the, in the Portland area until 2011 when I moved to Boise, where I'm at now, Boise, Idaho. Wow. So awesome. you lived in Bend prior yep. to like Bend becoming Bend, basically. There was 8,000 8, people when I lived in Bend. And when I moved away, there was 80,000 people in that six years. Yeah. Bend our house, we bought our house for $80,000 when my wife and I got married. Um, it was $79,900. We offered $80,000. It was a three-bedroom. That is not the negotiation skills you should be coaching. <laughs> <laughs> it was multiple offers. We offered a hundred over. Sounded a lot okay, better. Okay, okay, hundred over. A hundred dollars. We sold over. it in uh, two thousand one. Did you guys uh, have escalation clauses like a hundred over? <laughs> yeah, hundred bucks. Then hundred bucks. All the uh, numbers were lower, right? Yeah, yeah but it's incredible right. what the market did. We just missed the boom. Unfortunately, we moved away from Ben and back to the Portland area in two thousand one. Of course, about three years later that same house sold for $300,000. Wow. That same oh, wow. And about four years later, it sold for $80,000. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that happened to me with a house in West Lynn, actually, Tucker. Um, bought a house in 2004 for two, $269. It appraised in 2006 for $519. And I, I refinanced it for $400. I thought I was being conservative, right? Um, when we moved to Idaho, we ended up letting that house go for two fifty. Wow! In two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. we we all have experiences with that, uh, or at least <laughs> yeah. some of us do, anyway. That's for sure. Hey, so. yeah. By the way, offline, and you mentioned you did mention you're you're in Boise, right? Yep. Rick? Yeah, and offline, you'll need to tell me and Tucker about, a little bit about how it is over there because we're we're thinking of moving. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we're, we're eyeing some exits here. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Boise we're is awesome. Some taxes around here that we're we're shaking our heads about or scratching our heads about. Yeah, it's a different podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. we won't rabbit hole today. But um, so where I guess where'd you go from there? Let's throw them a couple softballs here and kind of get the uh, the rest of. The so uh, the reason I moved to Boise was to expand the team. I had a team in Portland, and so to expand the team to Boise was the original idea. And I'd lived here before, off and on in the summers. When I was a competitive water skier back in the '80s and '90s, so I loved the area. It was it's basically like Bend weather-wise. It's a high desert, so a lot of sunshine, hardly ever rains. Love that. Um, and my wife and I decided this is where we wanted to move with the kids. So we ex moved over here to expand the team. I grew another team over here. And then that led me to get into really coaching a lot of people. And I've actually started coaching in 2010, but not really full time. This is what I do happened in August of 2015. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, well, let's go right into it. I mean, what are you, I mean, the, the beauty of having a guy like you on Rick is, you know, a guy like me, I know my business. I see my business and I, I might see peripherally, you know, some other agents' businesses and through conversations, but you are intimately inside and, and talking to 
in depth, you know, great agents in multiple markets. What, right. What's the common theme? What are the questions you're getting? What are, what are people asking for help with? And what do, what do they need help with? Sometimes those are different. Yeah, interestingly, I mean, the biggest takeaway I've got from the last three months or so is that real estate is hyper local. I mean, I've got clients in New Jersey. I've got a coaching client in San Antonio, Texas. I've got clients in you know, lots of different markets. And some of them don't really realize anything is going on. I mean, literally, it has not affected their business. They're having their best years they've ever had. Others can, cannot practice real estate, like in New Jersey. You cannot sell homes. Um, so it's very market specific with where you're at. And that's one of my pieces of advice I give to people when we're talking about the COVID situation or anything it, regarding a transitional market is we have to really pay attention to what's going on in our area. You know, talking about real estate nationally is like talking about the weather nationally. It's irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, what's going on in Boise, Idaho is not what's going on in New York City. Um, so we really have to pay attention to our market, our numbers. What are we seeing? And my clientele is all over the board. I've got people that are from every end of it to and, and every, not only what's going on in their business, but their own personal, how it's affecting their life kind of thing. Some it's hardly affecting them at all. Others, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just paying attention to what's going on with your area. I think, you know, people tend to watch the news and the news likes to take the worst of the worst and, you know, show you Michigan and New York and New Jersey and certain areas. It's like, well, that, that's not us though. That's not me in Boise and, and that's not you in Portland. We need to look at our numbers and our markets are actually doing really well and they're strong right now. And I agree with you. you know, we talked about earlier, it's, it's coming in a big wave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's changing under our feet, isn't it, Rick? I'm, it I'm, I'm actually starting to have realizations and, 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 and beliefs that <clears throat> we're, we're, we're in the early stages, I think, of going from, going from a famine to a feast. I mean, um, and, and that's one thing that I, this, this crisis has been so unique in some ways and how you've seen, you know, winners and losers, but you've also seen shifts within those dynamics. Um, I'll give you an example, the hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. When this first started, they were, they geared back and they were, they were so confident that all the hospitals were going to get overrun. They canceled surgeries. They did, you know, all the doctors were on high alert. Well, then guess what happened? <laughs> Nothing. And now the hospitals are, are bleeding money and laying people off and going in completely the other direction. I'm starting to wonder if we're the opposite of that. If we were the ones that got hit really bad in March and April and every, you know, the, if you use the example of a tidal wave, the, the, the ocean kind of receded a little bit and we we're all going, oh, this is bad. Well, here comes the tsunami of business as I think, and we haven't even in Oregon, we haven't even come out of our, in the, in the tri-county area, we haven't even come out of our stay home orders yet, but we're starting, I'm starting to realize, I think I'm going to have the best June I've ever had. And we just might all have one of the busiest summers we've ever had. And we, to the point, kind of like the, you know, the meat industry or, you know, some of the, we might have some supply chain issues. We might have inspectors booked out a week and a half. We, we ourselves as realtors might be thinned out. So I bet some of your co coaching is going from like, how do you cope with this challenge? Where do you get new business to, you might start having capacity coaching calls. We might. Exactly. <laughs> I did this morning. Actually, I've had a couple of those already. It's funny. So yesterday I went, I, I like to ride dirt bikes. I know you know that Steve, you like motorcycles. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends is a finance guy for the largest dirt bike shop around in Idaho. It's called Carl's. 
they've sold over 500 units this month. And I went into their store. I couldn't believe it. I, I go there fairly regularly and there's hardly any motorcycles in there. I was talking to Brian, the finance guy. He's like, we can't keep bikes in stock. We can't get bikes fast enough. He sold 15 yesterday himself, him, 11 of them were cash. And he's like, Rick, I've never seen this before. I mean, people, you know, everything they're getting is sold out. Number one, there's a huge demand because people want to get away. They want to mm -hmm. get outside. But number two, the supply is not keeping up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not their fault, but you know, some of the manufacturers can't build product or some of the shippers can't ship the product. I mean, and I think, food industry, you know, there's a lot of industries that are somewhere along the line, there's a breakdown. And so the supply isn't able to keep up with the demand. Hey, I got something for you guys. All three of you guys probably monitor this, but me being a layman and not a realtor, I, I monitor as much as I can, but showing time, right? I was looking at uh, reading an article on showing time and they said, as of this week, of the 41 states um, that they monitor, 12 of them had set highs for traffic for the entire year this past week, which basically means more traffic than January, February prior to this whole thing happening. Right. Right. Um, and it showed the graph went like, you know, went like this. We had our month of freeze, right, Steve, where everybody was coming on yeah. and we're like, we love you guys. Hopefully we make it through. Right. And then on the other side, boom, it popped up. And now we're in this like ramp up in terms of showings. And then obviously that's on the other side. It's, it's, you know, inventory is getting, you know, scooped up real quick and things just aren't staying on the market and people are selling motorcycles 15 in a day which is crazy uh the one guy i'm sure uh, old mike's jealous probably listened to that <laughs> yeah uh, you know yeah. And, yeah. and guns are flying off the shelf too so all those guys riding motorcycles are packing as well probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly well Mad max and, now yeah. and you know i think it goes beyond personally i think it goes beyond pent-up demand pent-up demand conveys there was demand that couldn't be serviced that, that built up and now it's being released. Okay, I think we have a little of that going on, but I think we have manufactured demand. I think we have new demand, new demand that wouldn't yeah. have come had COVID not happened. I'm, I mean, I'm reading a lot of articles, I'm watching a lot of CNBC and, and I'm talking to a lot of people and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of clients and I'm seeing people have been home for two, three months. They've intimately become familiar with that space and those who, it, and I think there's an underlying concern that there could be a second stay-at-home order, maybe in the fall, maybe in the winter. Um, so, so they're like, let's get into something different. Maybe they wouldn't have had that conversation before had COVID not happened. So there, I, I think we could see a really, really busy summer. I'm not saying for the next two years. I mean, it could be a spike, you know, just like, you know, that guy's probably not going to be selling, you know, 15 motorcycles a day a year from now or two years from now, but he is right now. And I'm, I'm, Wondering if we in our industry are going to really feel that that yeah. surge. Well, I think we, we've talked before, Steve, you and I in coaching calls, things don't ever go away. They just move. And it's up to us to figure out where they're moving to and to get in front of it. I mean, we're seeing trends of people wanting space, right? So maybe a bigger yard. We're seeing people wanting home offices. It's going to be interesting to see a year from now and look back, what were the trends that people bought in the summer of 2020? Yeah. Suburban, yeah. I think, is yeah. getting more popular all of a sudden. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not hitting all, all, all price points and all areas equally. Um, I, I still think the, the downtown condos and the really close in places, they, I think they're going to suffer for a while. I just got a listing lead yesterday to two condos real close to 23rd Street downtown, right? And um, like two blocks away. And 
I don't know that those are going to do super well because for the next year, are people really wanting to walk to Matadors and some of those, those restaurants? I mean, the, 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 the lure of that is a little diminished right now. Whereas the suburban areas with the big yards and the big lots, there's a huge push for that. Absolutely. What, you, what, what, are, what was the capacity issues you were working with um, with your coaching call in recent ones? Well, it was there, you know, busy. In fact, one of the agents is a Portland agent and she's really busy and has, you know, lighting up two or three listings a week now and doesn't have the capacity to answer phones and, and take care of things. She has a, a team, but we need more people on the team, specifically in administrative roles. And she's, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's been literally in the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden she's going crazy. Yeah. And you have to wonder if sometimes some of those there's, I'm, I guarantee you there's teams out there. I'm fortunately not one of them. I did scale back my hours for my people. I did not let anybody go, but I bet there's people out there who, when March hit and April hit, they're like, okay, you know, got to let a couple people go, a couple, uh, you know, TC, uh, some, some kind of um, support role. And now they're going, holy smokes, how, how do I get people back? How do I get this machine yeah. revved up? That's where supply issues happen is when you have those fluxes quickly where you, yes. you're gearing down and then all of a sudden a surge hits you. Yeah. Um, well, one of the other things, answer your question, Steve, you asked about what am I seeing? One common thing I'm seeing with people is their routines are really messed up. Yeah. So you know, like the going to the gym in the morning and then stopping at you know, Starbucks or whatever, and then going to the office. I think a lot of people do that. It's amazing how many people do that. And then now they're forced to be at home. I mean, you've talked about this on this podcast. D. It's like learning how to work out differently. I, I had two of my coaching clients today talk about they've gained weight and they're really frustrated. One nine, one 15 pounds over the last couple of months. And they're, you know, kind of pulling their hair out. It's because we've got this disruption in our daily habits and what we're doing. And that mm -hmm. not only affects you physically, you're sitting around with access to food in your house, but it affects your ability to produce and work as well. So one of the things I'm really focusing on with my coaching clients is have an established routine, at least for the morning, do something regular, consistent, that's going to keep you focused on your business and then do the same kind of thing with your eating habits. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll tell Which, you what, I've been eating a lot of creamsicles because <laughs> those are good, but, yeah. uh, but I have a home gym too. So I've been trying to work them off. So. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you starting to see some, what, what we're talking about, Tucker? Are you, are you seeing some, some heightened activity on yeah. some of your stuff? I have, um, you know, it's interesting. The, the demand for what's called investment grade stuff is very, very high right now. Uh, whether it be lots to build, houses to renovate, um, you know, that wavered a little bit there for a while. Uh, but I mean, there was a couple lots that I was looking at and we could have bought them for probably 50 grand less. And they both went pending, like literally within a day, like it just changed. And somebody came out of the woodwork and they paid full boat for these two lots, right? And that, that uh, owner was ready to let them go for about 50K less. And I thought that 50K less was a fair number that day before and then it just changed and so and you know we're 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 doing another home um uh, individual that you know that we're going to be building uh in lo and you know we're specking that out at prices that were pre-covid right uh, or maybe yeah. even plus some whereas a month ago i probably would have been like covid minus 10 percent, you know so mm -hmm. that's it's been an interesting ride, man. I don't know. I, I keep thinking i have the answers and then i learn that i don't so mm -hmm. it's this has been really crazy and i'm I'm curious to see how it turns out, but I, I don't know. What do you think, Rick? I mean, what's your kind of looking forward now? You're talking to these different people. You're seeing how markets are changing, especially right now over the last two weeks. I think the last two weeks have been a big change. 
what are what's your guesstimation of, of where we're headed? Well, you know, to quote Jim Rohn, my mentor who I worked with for a number of years, he would say this, it's opportunity mixed with difficulty. I mean, that's what I see coming, right? I, I think really we're in this for a couple of years before we get back to what we thought was normal before all this. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be bad for a couple of years. It's just going to be very different. I mean, there's certain things that are never going to go away. Calls like this, a lot of virtual things agents are doing now. I think that's just the way it's going to be. And I think that's good. Um, I originally thought, and I still stick by that right now, I haven't seen anything to change it. When we started going into this pandemic, about three months of a severe dip in activity, like 25 to 30%. And I actually uh, talked with you, Steve, and I talked with a big company I coach over here in Idaho. That's about exactly what they saw. Between 25 and 30% dip in actual activity, number of sales. And that was specifically for April, by the way. But I said, yeah, two to three months of this, but it's not going to affect price as much, I don't think. And I haven't seen that. I haven't seen prices being affected at all. And I do think now we're, we're on the upslope on the other side of this. I think this summer and fall is going to be really strong. The weird thing is it's an election year and traditionally election years are slow the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. I remember I, that. In I don't know how slow the second half of this year is going to be though. I mean, traditionally election years, the second half slows down and then the following year is a great year. If you look just historically in real estate, um, I think that's, you know, we've, we've, accelerated the timeline. I don't think it's going to be that slow this fall. I think people are going to continue to buy houses. Now, I, we're lucky we're in, a, in an industry that's not as affected as some. There's still a lot of difficulty for a lot of industries mm-hmm. moving forward for the next foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I think to, real estate's on the way up. I talked to Justin Harnish last week. We're in contract on a deal here in Lake Oswego, $1.3 million house. Um, we, him and I chatted on the phone for 45 minutes and he goes, yeah, I mean, what a difference here. These, cause he was on the podcast, what, maybe, maybe two months ago or yeah, six weeks ago. Uh-huh. He goes, what a difference. He goes, he goes, I went from thinking I was going to have a, a terrible year to wondering if I'm going to have a better, a better year than last. I mean, it, remember he, we were on the cusp though, right? Steve, he was like, I'm feeling something, right? Yeah. And, yeah. He said it on that podcast. He goes, I, I'm getting some notifications of, of, of more activity. So it was starting, it was starting, but definitely has broken loose in, in a big way. Well, Lawrence um, Yoon, right, the economist for the NAR said back in March, he said, we're going to sell as many houses as we always would have this year. It's just not going to happen in the same time frame. And I, I yeah. didn't know if I believe it at that time. I could see what he was saying, but it certainly seems to be we're heading that direction. Yep. Yep. I'm not down sure he 30% had the foresight, but... Like he might have been uh, posturing. I don't know that he had the foresight, but it's turning right. out that he, he looks like a genius, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, the, the C-19 traffic, it's, it's been wonderful. It's been like Portland in the 80s, you know, it, but I've noticed over the last couple of days, it has tripled, mm-hmm. it's still nowhere near the horrible traffic we have when we're back to normal. But for C-19 traffic, it tripled the amount of emails, texts, and phone calls have tripled just over the last few days. Um, I think we are getting back and um, we are thinking this could be uh, as good, if not better than last year. We just had a few month hiatus. We are dealing with a few things. And so uh, I was hoping we'd have more questions on um, this live podcast, but since we don't have any, I want to ask a couple questions that I think maybe masters might want to know. And that is with C19, what are you hearing for the people you coach and the people you rub elbows with 
really successful people who are out in the trenches, you know, what is the new normal and what does the realtor have to do to adapt and overcome what we're dealing with for the rest of 2020? Well, I think part of it is being sensitive, no matter what market you're in to other people. So like, you know, in Idaho, for example, we can do open houses. We never were not able to do open houses, but there's quite a few agents that have not been doing them because it really fires up some people. They're like, you shouldn't be doing that. So I think image. And so rather than do that and, and make people upset, it's like we're having some really good success with virtual walkthroughs, people using video and not just showing the house, but talking about it talking about the pluses and what they like and the area and really getting detailed. And those are actually generating leads for my clients. But I think embracing that virtual world, basically the digital world that we have now, it's funny that I, I mentioned that book Instabrain, but I am a, I'm a Gen X person, right? I'm 50. So I, I'm a physical person. I think about physical stuff. I'm a physical person, but I live in a digital world. So people like me tend to think how little technology do I have to learn to get by, right? And I think there's a lot of realtors in that boat. You know, how little do I have to do online? How little do I have to do virtually to make this stuff work? We have to realize a lot of the buyers that are up and coming now that we're dealing with, certainly in the um, entry level and, and not, you know, not luxury, but below that level are younger and they're digital people mm -hmm. living in a digital world. So they actually literally think, what's the least amount of physical stuff I have to do to get this to happen. Right? I don't want to drive to a realtor's office and interview with them. I don't want to sit down and drive over to a coffee shop and say, I want to do all this online virtually. And I've got, you know, a 14 year old boy who, you know, an 11 year old daughter, but they, that's exactly them. I mean, if they can do it online and they will, and they're incredible, they're better online than I am. And they, they'll figure out everything they want to figure out. So I think for realtors, this has forced our hand to start embracing a lot of the technology that was already there. We just weren't using it, whether it comes mm -hmm. to video, Zoom calls, virtual tours, virtual showings, you know, spotlighting a neighborhood, but doing it all through virtual means. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we need to do the rest of the year and, and moving forward. I don't think that's going to go away. Agents that don't, it's like, I always tell agents always are worried that technology is going to replace them. And I always tell agents, look, you're not going to be replaced by technology. You're going to be replaced by other agents who embrace technology. Exactly mm -hmm. right. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, we have a comment from Chris Knopf. I know him. He's a loan officer um, with uh, Churchill Mortgage. He said, be able to adapt to change and learn constantly. If you think about it, that's the one constant right now. It, when, when we went from February into March, and now that we're going from May into June, what is the one thing that's constant between going you know, you're going from 100 miles an hour to 50. Now we're going from 50 to back to 100, right? I mean, the change is the constant. Like, I think it's interesting too um, that uh, we touched on it. A lot of us are sitting at home. I don't have my team around me in the same manner I did, you know, a year ago or six months ago. So we're trying to figure out how to be the busiest we've possibly ever been or close to it in this new world where we're working remotely. And that's where the technology really, really comes in. And, and I sent an email to, I think you got it, Steve, maybe three weeks ago. And that was the title of the email was adapt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I, I agree, that's exactly what it's all about right now is figuring out how we can make sure we're providing value to the people that need it in a way that's acceptable socially. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, there's, there's people that don't want us out doing certain things. So, but we still need to sell homes. 
What do you guys think the new like takeaway from this? Oh, let's say two things, right? Technology wise that agents are kind of the adapt or die model, right? Like what, what did, what are we going to take from this technology wise to integrate into your business? That'll stick. Right. I know some people are like, I'm done with zoom. I've had enough of this. I want to do some high fiving and handshaking in person, but like, obviously that's going to be a part of it. But what do you guys think? I mean, you've used a bunch of technology over the last two months. I'm curious. I think it's Zoom. I think Zoom's, Zoom's going to stick around. I, and, and, and when I say Zoom, I just mean video conferencing. It, it, it could be, you know, it, Zoom could be the MySpace of video conferencing. Years from now, we're like laughing about it, like who uses Zoom, but it will be some type of video conferencing. Um, what I'm doing right now um, my, 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 and I've, I've, I'm having a, a lot of listing appointments all of a sudden. Um, I, there's usually some kind of phone call or email that tees up a Zoom session. On the Zoom session, it's a needs and an analysis. It's a consultation. It's me grabbing the screen, pulling up my website. Here's some of the videos we do. Here's the 3D. I mean, it's doing a presentation. Mm-hmm. Then we set up a quick walkthrough of their home where I go see the home, see the condition, make some suggestions, and then go back and do another Zoom where I pull up RMLS and show them the comps, talk about a pricing strategy. And then from there, it's listing contract, go, take it online. So, in the future, what I was talking to my team about, I think the first Zoom session will remain. So in the future, I think they'll always, moving forward, at least for me, I'm going to always tee up a quick Zoom session, do a face-to-face consultation, build rapport, show them what I do. Then I'll go to their house and then I'll, go, I'll do the comps at their house because we can get around the table and we can be closer in the future when this is all gone. But that first Zoom, I think, is going to stick around. And I think it'll be there for buyers too. It's like, and it's like Rick said, I, I, you, I, I agree with you so wholeheartedly. I loved how you said that. I've never heard that before. But there's a lot of us who, did, who, who use technology as little as possible. Right. The new generation uses as much as possible. And we're, we're at a tipping point where more of our clients are going to be of that generation in the near future, if not already. Yep. You know, if you, if you take a macro look at, you know, you just kind of walk through your intro to listing and how you get together with people, the, the old adage always remains. Like you've heard of parroting um, or being a human chameleon. You know, you go to the country, they're wearing jeans and boots and chewing tobacco. So you're wearing boots and jeans and chewing tobacco. And the point is you got you to gotta speak people's language. So if I list a home in a senior living, you know, community, they're going to have actual real flyers. We're going to go in the neighborhood bulletin. We'll be in the church bulletin because that is how those people embrace uh, information, right? And then as you're going down the generations to the, the new gens, um, they're all digital, right? Maybe, uh, maybe you post on Instagram, maybe you do a blast text. So you have to match people's um, threshold for correspondence in their preferred platforms and that has always been constant. And it's funny because it's always a surprise when, when you tell it to people, but you sort of have to match um, your clientele. And it's, it's like you understand their habits and, okay, this person's young, they're techie, everything's going to be digital. And then as you go up to the scale to the older community, everything's in writing, snail mail, um, all the things. And if you can identify the generation 
to their habits and how they ingest information, that's going to be a lot of it right there. Mm-hmm. And the key to that, Joe, I totally agree, is you can't just you know say, okay, we're going to do everything digitally now, right? You, you have to follow as things phase out and new things phase in, you have to be able to adapt and be that chameleon depending on who you're talking to. But in 20 years, yeah, it's going to, you know, a lot of stuff we're doing now won't happen. There's not going to be as much print. Uh, those kind of things are going to go away. But for now, we can't just say, okay, we're going to get rid of all technology. Print. Yeah. Because right. yep. we're not there yet. It's, yep. it's, it happens in stages. Yep. Our, our holograms will have Zoom meetings. Yep. <laughs> we don't even have to be there. <laughs> well, it's funny because I'm always on my kids. I read this book. I was telling you guys about Instagram but, or uh, Instabrain. So Generation Z is what both my kids are, which is from 6 to 26 years old and how different their brains work than even millennials and how different their brains work than Gen X and baby boomers. And the interesting thing is they actually do really well with multiple things happening at once. Like my son, literally, if you walk into his room, he'll be playing a game. He'll be reading a book for school. He'll have a YouTube video on another screen and he'll be playing with his phone. He'll like be doing four or five things at once. And I'm sitting there going, Alex, focus. And I know me, Mr. You know, Gen X, focus on one thing, right? That's not how these kids do things. And that's not how they learn because I'll ask him, I'll quiz him on stuff. And he's like, oh, he, he got it. I mean, he was doing like five things at once, but that's how they do things. And mm-hmm. to really understand the differences in this generation's brain, I think it's going to be important over the next 10 years for realtors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you reach those people? They don't care about traditional stuff that I care about, right? I mean, I know you watched it, Steve, because you guys have talked about it on your podcast, but I, I grew up, you know, I was born in 1970. So the 80s and 90s, for me, for sports were huge. So that Michael Jordan last dance, I mean, all that stuff. I loved watching it because it just brought back so many good memories of my life. I mean, I, I lived all that, all those moments. But so I care about like Nike. I grew up in Eugene, right? I mean, I, I care about brands. Generation Z doesn't care about that stuff at all. They don't care about brands. They don't care about tradition. They care about who's popular right now and what's the feeling around it. And it's like, you know, you, you look at some of these numbers that these kids have on their social media followings in the hundreds of millions. It just, it blows your mind. It's like, because I've watched some of them. I'm like, I don't get it. Obviously, I'm not a Gen Z brain, but I've got to figure that stuff out to communicate with people effectively. Otherwise, they're not hearing us. Mm-hmm. Well, and think about it. Um, I, I kind of view myself, I graduated high school in 95. When I graduated high school, there was no World Wide Web. I mean, it, it, there probably was, to be fair, but n- no one knew about it. Like literally that next summer, it just went nuts. That was when. So I kind of view myself as at that tipping point where I spent a good chunk of my life without technology, without the internet. And then, at a, you know, at a mid, mid age, 18, 19, it came on big. But think about the people born that year, born in 95, they're 25 years old now. They're starting to buy houses. They've never known that Not, previous yeah. world. Everything they've ever known, you know, by the time, if they're born in 95, by the time they're five is 2000, they probably had, you know, their, their parents' computers open, they're playing games, they're, everything's happening online. So yep. every year that goes by, less of the print people, less of the, 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 face-to-face, we do everything face-to-face, people will, will be around and more of the technology. And, right. and I think this was, is good for us who, who that we aren't naturally in that realm. And, and while I probably embrace technology more than some, I mean, you know, there's, there are agents older than me who really have had to, you know, force themselves to embrace technology. And this is, 
this is fast tracking that for people for sure. Well, it's really different in a lot of buyers now too. We're, we're seeing a lot of migration from out of areas. I mean, like in Idaho, I mean, we have local buyers certainly, but California, Washington, and Oregon are the, are big feeders for Idaho. And so if you don't have the ability to, you know, not only communicate with people in other areas, but maybe advertise and market yourself in other areas, you're going to miss out. It's not mm -hmm. just a local person. I mean, when I started in 1994, if you wanted to see a house, I mean, you had to literally come to my office. I had to go to the listing office. It was always um, KIL, key and listing office. Remember that? KIL, key and listing office. I literally had to go physically to the listing office, get a key. And if I'm showing somebody seven or eight homes, get seven or eight different keys from different listing offices. <laughs> Imagine that. And then we drove around and, you know, I had to drive them all back to all those other offices. So people, it was very local. Now you have to be able to communicate with people outside of your market and draw mm -hmm. in clients and buyers and, and advertise yourself and market yourself outside your market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one other thing I wanted to say with, uh, so again, um, you know, with COVID, uh, there's an emphasis on technology, right? And we talked about in other podcasts that Zoom wasn't invented like March 7th or whenever the, right. the thing hit, right? It's been around forever. What pushes people towards technology is you're forced to use it and then you're forced to use it over a period of 75 days or however long and then it sort of becomes habit mm -hmm. so moving forward with the new reality and the new rules there's a lot of dinosaurs like myself that uh, I happen to be not bad at technology but there's a lot of people who have been in it as long as I have or almost and they just hate technology and you know I want to throw them sort of a, a life preserver to say look you don't have to bone up and be awesome at all kinds of technology maybe kick pick three or four key items that you want to focus on and master that and then hire or delegate everything else yeah. you know it, it's it's difficult to be a master at absolutely everything just be a master of what you do. We're licensed to get signatures, right? Buyers, sellers, that's it. If you can expand and you like to do it and embrace technology, do it. If you don't know how to do an instant tour on a house, hire a guy. There's millions of people with cameras and they'll follow you around. It's probably gonna be a better video than you can do yourself. And, um, you can do that with a lot of things. You could have uh, a marketing coordinator that, helps you put things on Instagram and LinkedIn and, and all the platforms that you don't know how to do. That's what they do. And it, and it costs you less money to hire them than if you did it at your hourly rate. So delegate the little stuff and learn only a couple key items. And I, I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off the shoulders of I'm 50 something. I don't understand this technology. I'm, they're going to take me to the farm here and shoot me sometime soon. I right. think there is hope that just get the right people and have them do it. And you'll be doing stuff more efficiently and effortlessly than ever before. Well, that's absolutely Joe. One of the messages I get to my coaching clients all the time is do less things, but do them better. I mean, realtors are famous for being a mile wide and inch deep. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they dabble in everything and they don't do anything really to effectiveness. So it's like, okay, let's do much less in, in the four book, you know, the book, the four disciplines of execution talks about 
couple of things I really like, but one of it is never more than three. It's usually two or three is kind of the magic number of things we should be focused on. Everything else, either don't do it or delegate it to somebody else. But when we try and do 20 or 30 things at once, I mean, most realtors, they try and call a couple of FISBOs, a couple expired, they send a few postcards, they write a couple handwritten notes, and they don't get anything from any of it. It's like, well, you're not doing any one thing at a level that's actually going to work for you, right? It's, and I, I love that advice. If you're not technology, you know, inclined, that's okay. Learn something simple and get somebody around you that knows how to help you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, they say it almost as if there weren't an option, right? And, and I've, I've seen the, like, just like you said, the realtors that are, I'm a realtor, but hey, I'm also a stager and I also have a warehouse full of furniture and I'm also a photographer. And it's like, look, you know, you're paid to get signatures. The, the thing with the technology, when people say I'm not very techie, they say it in, in such a way like they didn't have unlimited options of people around them that are amazing, right? right? Maybe they can't create a little video intro or they can't do that. But there's a million people around on Fiverr here locally um, that would love to do. I mean, Masters is full of them because it's realtors and real estate related services. If there's tech that you don't understand and someone can do it better, you're better off doing it that way. So I agree. I think we're also in, in an environment and will be for a little while anyways, that's conducive to growing a team. Cause we're talking about leveraging yourself and only focusing on a few things and delegating. Here's why I believe that. I think despite the fact that a lot of us are going to be really busy, I think it is a really challenging environment for a newer, slower agent. Sure. No open houses, no door knocking. You know, there's, there's a, there's, there's, there's limited ways to get new business. There's definitely less than there was six months ago. Um, open houses is a huge part of that. Um, at least as of right now, and who knows what that's going to look like in the, in the coming month or two. So, so for those agents, there's, I think they're going to be struggling and I think they're going to want to gravitate towards somebody who has a good book of business, who all of a sudden might find themselves running thin and not able to do it all. And so it is a good time to maybe partner up and leverage, you know, leverage some people and help them while they help you and, and, you know, do something to, to complement each other's strengths. Well, I see the big the thing you're talking about there, Steve, is specializing, right? It's so important to specialize. I see agents all the time that try and do too much. They try and do too many things, which dilutes their primary business. And so then they're always struggling. It's like the way you get out of the continuous struggle is to stop doing so many things, get really good at one or two or three things, mm-hmm. and then build on that and delegate. Have other specialists who are good at those other things come join you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the point of a team, right? I mean, I, it's funny because I've been coaching, you know, full time now for five years. I've been coaching for ten, but I get across agents every now and then that don't like the team thing, or that they comment, that, you know, I, I want to really do everything myself, take care of my clients. I think a lot of that is a misconception of what a team is. They don't understand really what the value and the benefit is. It's like I was when I moved to Boise, Idaho. Okay, so this is December of 2011. I'm at the mall. I'm buying my wife a Christmas present. I, I literally ran into an agent. I saw her there at the mall who's a local Boise agent. She knew me from Portland. She, she'd known me for years. She's like, how did you guys do this year? And, and we were talking about it. And it's like, 
know, we had a really good year. She goes, what was your goal? And, uh, the, the team goal the, that year was a hundred million and we did 97. So like, well, we came close to our goal. We did 97 million. And she literally said to him, she goes, Ugh, like this, I would never want a business that did 97 million. And I thought to myself, I didn't say anything right then, but I thought, cause she's a pretty big producer. She's probably a $20 million producer by herself, literally by herself. Okay. Has no a assistant. Lot. That's no, a lot no by yourself by herself. So she's sitting here thinking, okay, I think of all my problems, my time commitments, my angry clients, you know, all the different things I have to deal with, multiply that by five and you know, no thanks. That, that's what she's thinking. But I'm sitting there thinking, you realize I'm in Boise, Idaho right now, right? I mean, my team's in Oregon. <laughs> I mean, it's like, she doesn't understand the concept of owning a business and having leverage, mm -hmm. right? To her, it was all about taking a snapshot of her business blow that up five times and that's chaos but that's mm -hmm. not how it works and, and we all that have a business know when you get surrounded by the correct specialists you can actually provide better service and do the things that you actually enjoy so mm -hmm. it's just interesting i think this market is like you say it's it's forcing people to relook at things and maybe we need to team up maybe i need more capacity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for for the record i think uh Justin Harnish wouldn't want to do 79 million a year either for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a drop in business for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like 110 or I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah it's crazy. I mean, what there's other obstacles for how many units too, right? I mean, you know, you're moving more units, you got more friction, you need more people, you need more leverage, right? Less units. You know, it's just a little different business model, but is that, do you think that's the biggest issue you see with people, Rick? Like they just, they don't, either want to grow because they think it's going to be more problematic for them or they just don't know how to grow. It's a combination. Certainly they're not sure what to do and they've dabbled in it. I mean, how many times have real estate agents told me they hired somebody. It didn't work out because I continued to have to jump back in supervise and I, I could have just done it myself. So then they just, you know, well, I'm just going to do it myself kind of thing. Right. It's like they tried, but they didn't know how to do it right. And they hired a lot of times the wrong person. They hired somebody like them rather than somebody that had a different skill set that they needed. Mm -hmm. But we like to hire people that we like, which sometimes is like us, and that's not what we need. We need somebody with complementary skill sets. So I think partly not knowing how to do it, but then also just having an, an image of there are just like any business, there's really good individual agents and really bad ones. And there are really good teams and really bad ones. So if you've had a certain amount of experiences with a team, you might think, well, I didn't like that team. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know, that narrative isn't, <laughs> isn't always true. Mm -hmm. Steve, what have you taken? I mean, obviously you've done coaching with Rick. I mean, what did, has he been kind of instrumental in you growing your team and kind of, you know, setting the right people in the right seats on the bus kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I haven't really grown it per se. In fact, if anything, in 18, I kind of, I kind of whittled it down a tiny bit and, and, and with it boosted my profitability and, and efficiencies and, and effectiveness. Um, but I have, oh my gosh, I mean, the, the specialization, like, like literally my, my job is purely on my team is purely to get people to say, yes, we're using you. Right. Um, especially on the listing side, the second they, they do that, I'm turning them into someone and I'm moving right back out to find that next one. You know, via, now it's via zoom or what, whatever the phone calls follow up. Um, but then, but what's great about it is, so I've gotten really good at that part. And, and especially as you're adapting to new changes, it's so important. Imagine if you, your focus is this much of the business and it's all changing, how much more challenging that is than if your focus is just this tiny portion and it's changing. 
Um, but behind me, I've got people that are experts at, you know, onboarding the listing, right? My co-list, that's what they're great at. They're not, they're, their job is not to get someone to say, yes, we're going to use you. It's taking them from yes to yes. Now we're live on the, on the market. And then there's people behind them that are good at just the, the paperwork or the marketing components. So um, that specialization is huge. And not to mention the, the ability, you know, in my case, every listing has two of us on it, right? So there's the ability to, to, to offer capacity and immediacy. And, you know, every seller has myself or the co-list to, to go to. So if one of us is busy, then they can have the other. So you improve the experience, I believe, for the client when they're structured correctly. And you improve this experience for the co-op, the, co the, the buyer's agents that are coming to our listings. I mean, if, if one of us isn't getting back, there's another option. And um, where I think people fail, Rick, and you, I know you'll agree with this, is they didn't first have systems set up for themselves. Yeah. And so there's nothing to turn over to people. Right. The, if, if two people, if, if you are running without any systems and processes and it's just, it's just you're freehanding every transaction, if you bring another person into that environment, they're not going to know what to do. You're going to bump into each other and it's not going to work. If you take yourself, and this is my number one thing I'd recommend. If you're thinking about growing a team first, and maybe that new person helps you do this. That's okay. If you're busy, bring them on. And, but that should be job number one. What are the processes? Let's outline every step of a listing, every step of a, a buyer transaction, okay, now I'm doing these steps, then I hand it to you and you do these steps. And that's where people need to focus on. I think people also have a bad taste in their mouth because one time they were on a team or one time they brought someone on, it didn't work and they're not open to revisiting it. And I think, um, I just think, you know, that, that, that's not the reality. It can be done, it just was done incorrectly. Well, my favorite, I totally agree with you, Steve. My favorite story, and I think you've heard me tell it, is about my son and golfing. So my son is, is quite a golfer. He plays competitive golf, but I got him started when he was five. And I took him to a driving range, you know, bought him a little bitty set of clubs. And I couldn't believe how well he was hitting the ball. If you've ever taken a five-year-old golfing, it's not always a great experience. But um, he was doing really well. And I was like, wow, you know, hand-eye coordination. He's hitting the ball well. I was like, maybe I should get him a coach. So there's a local golf course has a really good junior program. I got him started in that. And I remember his first lesson, and I've told this story and Steve's heard it, but it really had an impact on me. I'm standing there watching this guy, Jonathan Gibbs, the instructor, and he's only going over three things with my son. His approach to the ball, like literally how you stand over the ball, where's the ball, the rhythm of the swing, like how much time it takes, what does a rhythm feel like, and then the follow through body position. Where's your chest facing, where are your feet, where's the club? Those three things, approach, rhythm, and follow through, 45 minutes, right? And so I'm watching this, and this is years ago. So I'm thinking I'm at the time, I'm still a pretty heavy outcome based thinker. I hadn't really learned my lesson yet on systems and I'm watching, he's not hitting the ball that well. So I finally, I turned to Jonathan, the coach at one point, I said, so Jonathan, at what point do we care where the ball goes? Right. I mean, I'm just curious because he's not hitting it very well. Right. And Jonathan set me straight in one sentence. He's Rick. He says, I don't care where the ball goes. He says, right now I'm laying a foundation for his swing. And it was so, it seems obvious, right? But it was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, here I was in my forties. I've golfed my entire adult life. I golfed in high school. I mean, I played a few tournaments here and there, but I'm not a very good golfer, obviously. Why am I not a very good golfer? I've never developed and mastered a system. I've always adjusted to results, right? And if you play golf, if I slice it, I'm, I'm trying to close the club face. I'm changing my grip or I'm changing my stance. If I, and I'm always doing things to adjust to my last result which is what most realtors do. 
if you fast forward now, my son was six, okay, when he started golf lessons. Now my son is, he'll be 14 in a month. He's a lot better golfer than me. Big shock, I'm sure, to everybody. Um, but he's actually a really good golfer. It's like, how did that happen? It happened because he mastered a process and didn't care about results for a while. There was a period of time where he didn't care about results because they weren't good, but the process was coming along. Now that he's so good at the process, the results for him are easy, where the results for me in golf are not easy because I've still never laid that foundation. So I, that lesson is perfect for real estate. How many real estate agents, they get in the business, they start going after clients, they get a few deals under their belt, they get a few more. Pretty soon they're so busy, like you said, Steve, then they bring somebody else on and try and show them what they're doing. They can't show them what they're doing because what they're doing is just themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't have a system and a process they follow. And then so they either burn out and get out of the business. I've seen that a lot. Or they just never really quite make it work well enough to get traction. So they don't ever make enough money to make a living at real estate and they just they fade away in the end. They plateau. Yeah. So systems and processes is everything. And that's what I, I spend a lot of time with my coaching clients. Even agents that have been in the business a long time typically are not good at that at first. And we can double and triple people's businesses just by getting them some systems to master. And, and here's, here's another thing that I will, I will say, and, and I'm living this right now, guys. I mean, this is the world I'm in right now. Those systems, and you have a great um, quote that I learned from you. It's from... Um, uh, habits, uh, atomic, atomic habits. habits. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems, right? So during challenging times, which we just recently went through when, you know, the world's upside down and we're all going, what the heck's happening? And we're all working from home and everything. Those systems are, were my safety net, right? Mm-hmm. Even if I wasn't conscientiously aware of a transaction, I, we knew the next step was this. We had to do this. We had to do this, right? <laughs> so your systems are your safety net even though there's chaos everywhere else. Well, guess what now, as, as, as things are getting really busy, those systems are also a, a, a huge safety net for us too, because now we're gonna have chaos in our world, but it's gonna be a different chaos. Instead of chaos of like fear or chaos of scarcity, it's gonna be chaos of capacity. It's gonna be chaos of way too much coming at us. And those systems, again, are going to be what protects you. When, when you have five transactions, all of a sudden, now you're going to go, okay, where was I on this one? Oh, yeah, we need to go to the next step. This one's over here. We need to go to the next step. So those systems are good during good times and bad times. Um, they're very important. And, um, and they, they are the glue that not only keeps your business running smoothly, but your team running smoothly because, as they know exactly what to do next. And it's growing to scale, right? Mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, do you want to make twice as much this year as you did last year? some people compartmentalize and say, okay, now I got to work 80 hours a week instead right. of 40 hours a week. And, and so they really don't get it. Right. And there's some disconnect when you say team, you know, team is sort of a four letter word for some people in real estate. Mm-hmm. So you have to like change their thinking a little bit and say, Hey, how would, it, how would you like to have a gardener and a landscaper at your house? And how would you like to have house cleaners come once a week? And how would you like to have uh, your car detailed weekly, you know, for you? And you get them thinking in that mindset. And, and John Sealing uh, just posted a comment and he said, people ask him all the time, when is the time to hire a TC, a transaction coordinator? And how many deals do you have to have to do that? And he says, one. 
because we get paid to get signatures and you delegate everything else. Everything else that costs less than what your hourly wage is, you should delegate to keep you efficient. And it's getting people in the mindset of growing to scale, needing systems and delegating. And I think too many of us are either egomaniacs or they, they, they don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's, a, there's a whole section of coaching just on how to grow to scale, have people it, that's an expert in all these little fields and your field is being the, at the helm, getting signatures, making people say yes. Once they do, your team jumps into action and, and it's really hard for people to compartmentalize when it comes to real estate, everything else they can understand it. So yeah, I thought that was a great point. I think it's the process of just basically going from a solopreneur to a business owner, right? But exactly. people get caught up with the fact that a lot of them stay in the camp of solopreneur as a realtor, right? And so it's that bridge to business owner that a lot of people don't make it across the bridge. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and that's the gap that they need to learn that, you know, if you read cash flow quadrant, right, Tucker, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, the left side of the graph is the employee and the self-employed professional. The left side of the graph doesn't have any leverage. The right side of the graph is the business owner and the investor. How do we jump from one side of the graph to the other? And that's, that's what I spend a lot of time with my coaching clients on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. What else are you focusing on those coaching calls these days? What, what other challenges are, are you hearing and, wh- and, and what are you trying to help people see that maybe they wouldn't otherwise see? Well, I think um, for, like you said earlier, for a while there was keeping spirits up and then it turned into understanding what's actually happening and then realizing that, oh, wow, there is still business. And my clients who were still out hustling and not shrinking and contracting were getting a lot of business. So then it was a matter of, okay, how do we, you know, in fact, a couple of clients I'm dealing with that are feeling guilty about stuff because they're just killing it. They're having great years and they feel bad because they know other people are really struggling. Um, but it's what can we do consistently in this market? And a lot of times the successful things that we need to do are not glamorous. It's the mundane, boring things, but doing them. I mean, people are getting a lot more traction with handwritten notes, right? They're getting a lot more traction with staying in touch with people, just to, literally out of empathy to check in on them, which we should always be doing, but whoops, sorry. Joe got sidetracked by Eric's <laughs> comment about his haircut. And <laughs> I did. <laughs> Look what you did, Eric. Look what you did. Yeah. I can't click on it without the volume going on. Uh. <laughs> but I mean, personally reaching out to people, I think is super important right now in this transitional market and showing people you care. And if, if they know you care, that's, that's really important. And there was a time period, I think, I mean, there was a time period when this first started where it was a little awkward to reach out to people outside of just want to check in on you. But um, that, that is slowly, we're moving past that. We're getting back, like, um, I'm, you know, I'm starting to think, there was a time period, I'll just tell you right now, give you a specific example. In March and early April, I was taking listings live and I was not doing just listed postcards or sale pending postcards or sold postcards around them. I just, I felt like it was too weird. There was just, there was, the neighbors weren't going to be like, Hey, this guy's selling a house. Or I mean, it was just a, it was a scary time period in the last two weeks that those, those systems are back on. I'm now going back to trying to generate business off my current listings because 
I think we're back into a more normalcy there in that regards. Um, and there's other areas of that where things that we had pulled back on advertising wise, because we didn't want to be, um, we didn't want to be insensitive to challenges right. people are going through. Right. Um, I think we can slowly, you know, start to do a little bit more of the normal there in that regard. And we need to, Steve. We need yeah. to. I mean, real estate's a high calling and we are leading the economy out of this. I mean, real estate is at the forefront of the positiveness right now in the economy. So it's not that we even can, we need to be leading people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there, and there's actual demand for us there. I mean, no different than, um, the, the guy selling motorcycles or, or, you know, the, the toilet paper factories, you know, running 24 hour shifts. I mean, I think we might be heading into a place where there is a, a big demand and we're helping people. We're helping them get situated, get comfortable, get into a, a home that, that, that meets their needs um, during this time where, like you said, Rick, for the next year or two, it's going to be different. It's not going to be stay at home, but we're all going to spend more time at home than we otherwise would have. I mean, the, if, if in the past we, we went, ran out to a restaurant three, four nights a week, for example, we might go once a week, you know, I mean, it's not going to be so fun in those restaurants. And so, you know, everyone's going to be wearing, you know, there's going to be masks, there's going to be people checking in. It, it's not going to be the same. So, so, so when we're not in that restaurant, we're going to be spending time, more time at home, right? Um, if, if someone, someone that went out to a restaurant once a week, maybe now they go every other week, everything we used to do, there's not gonna be blazer games. There's probably not going to be. So we're all, we're all back in our homes probably for at least the next year, maybe two years until honestly, probably a virus or a vaccine is what is what fixes that ultimately. So I think that reality is setting in the people that I really need to be in a home that for the next couple of years, I'm really comfortable in, you know? You know, one other thought, uh, Steve, for all the realtors out there, I think there's this element of a road less traveled, right? So, so many people put people on snail mail campaigns and, you know, all the people in these great luxury neighborhoods would say, oh my gosh, I get, you know, 10 postcards a month from realtors asking to sell my house. Well, then when the, the internet became a huge thing. Of course, I'm going way back in time. People are thinking, I don't have to create something. I don't have to pay to print it. I don't have to pay to mail it. I'm going to do everything immediately by email and Facebook and all these platforms. Well, guess what? The guy that continues doing that, now you're the one postcard a month instead of 10 postcards a month to that people. It's the road less traveled. It's you know, the old uh, cliche in, in fly fishing, if you walk down a path and there's wet boot prints there on the, on the rock, just keep on going. You probably want to go down the nastiest thing full of blackberry bushes and rocks and it's steep like that, but you throw that bug out there and you're going to have a fish on immediately. And I see too many people doing what they're told to do, which uh, which are things that they think they're supposed to do with social media and they're not really differentiating themselves uh, whatsoever. Like back when, you know, newspapers were popular, the community newspapers would say, hey, would you like your business card size thing in the newspaper? We're featuring realtors. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. 
<laughs> do I want to pay my 50 bucks for a three inch by two inch thing amidst 150 other people? No. Do I want to take that same money and be the only guy in a church bulletin or in a grocery store or on the back of a grocery receipt or anything like that? Yes, I do. Road less traveled. And I, I, don't, I think a lot of people are hearing information and they're like, okay, I need to do these things. And so they go and do them and, and Hey, you're unique, just like everybody else. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you got to kind of find your niche and you, you got to have something special about you. And I think especially now in the digital age, the road less traveled, you need to figure out what that is. And I think it'll greatly help a lot of people. Talk about social media, Rick. I mean, we've seen a, a I mean, a, a, a press towards social media for as again, I, like I said, I mean, you can't, do you remember in, remember in January when we were, we were gearing up to do our pop by campaign, Rick? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, literally in February, I had Casey on my team run out and buy 300 of these things to start assembling so that we could come up with lists and do some Popeyes. Then March happened. Those are sitting in our office. Like we, <laughs> no one's popping by people's houses. So as you can't pop, do Popeyes, what, we, what a lot of people have, have focused on is social media. And um, talk, talk to us about what you're seeing your agents do and, and um, that's effective and working and cutting through because there is a lot on social media. How do they cut through the, the noise? Well, for example, one of the things I like when an agent does like market stats, for example, but with a twist, like do a market stats video, like a couple minutes talking about what's going on, but then also interview somebody, a local business or somebody, an expert in something that would be interesting to people in addition to it. So you're, you're combining something that is relevant, market stats, hey, what's going on in the real estate market? And then here we have a mortgage lender or an inspector or somebody that could talk, you know, here's five tips for you. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, I like stuff like that because I'm seeing more and more people do market stat videos and starting to use video, but just have a different twist. Like Joe says, you know, road less travel. Don't do what everybody else is doing. They do need to know their stats, though. I think that's a we need to be leaders in that and people need to know what's going on. Just add flair to it. Add something that's going to be interesting to people to it. And, and live for the, too. the live. younger generation, it needs to be short, full of sound bites because they're tying their shoes, playing a video game, talking on the phone, sending an email, microwaving a burrito. Yeah. So short with sound bites because the audience that's going to see that social media stuff and your internet based stuff, there's going to be a lot of these younger generations. And there's something to say that you might need to modify your video for your audience. So that's another thing when it comes to video, always know your audience and mm -hmm. the younger people keep it under two minutes. Tucker, I watched your real deals podcast last week. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of those, but I, I watched it. it was really good. You had that guy from Arizona. Yep. Oh, and Steve. He, yeah. he was saying some stuff and, and, and look, let's be clear. We're doing it ourselves, right? We're live right now. And he was saying, making some good points about live video that he, he said, I, I, and you, you help me out here, Tucker, but he said, your audience is more forgiving. They know you're live. So they're not going to hold you to this high standard. He said in the past, he would do these videos where he would like, he would, he would do it. Then he would edit it. Then he'd do it again and he'd polish it. And he, and it, for one thing, it took a lot of time, 
But for another thing, he always just never loved it, right? Whereas with live video, you, you're, you're, you're just on. Your, your people are, are more um, understanding of any mistakes or anything you know, that, that happens, but they, they also respect it more. And one thing that I'm seeing um, live videos do that I, I more and more, and I think it's awesome, is the people who does it, and Eric Post does this a lot, and I've seen others do it. They put a, a couple, your, like you said, Joe, they put your, um, in, in writing, they put the bullet points of what the live video is going to cover, and then they go live. So people scrolling will, who don't want to watch the video can read those highlights. Sometimes it'll encourage them to watch the video. They might go, I'm, today we're discussing this, this, and this. And then they go, oh, that's interesting. And then they watch it and, and maybe rewind it. So I think, I think that's huge. Yeah, live video is just more earnest in nature. I mean, you know, like us today, right? We're pretty much how we are. Uh, there's just four of us talking. Whereas if you do, you know, pre-recorded video, you know, you're trying to make it perfect and you're putting out this perfect version of yourself. And sometimes that just doesn't resonate with people as much mm -hmm. as, you know, just a normal conversation like we're having now. So I, I think that's a big advantage to live video. But I've seen a bunch of stuff, you know, lately, like um, the stats videos, like you're talking about, Rick, where people are on Instagram, and they're like, ding, 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 you know, and they have these things pop on the screen that are showing it. So that's a new thing. Um, yeah, cool. But I do think video is, I mean, you got to embrace it if you're going to do marketing online, just because that's what everybody wants to see. That's how you're going to captivate an audience or maybe some sort of captivating picture with uh, a very concise message attached to it. Um, but yeah, on, you got it. You got to embrace it. There's no question as an agent or otherwise. Live testimonials. Rick, you've been talking for, for, to me for a year about testimonial videos. I haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting closer. Yeah. But imagine doing a go live on Facebook with a client, maybe in front of their house, maybe somewhere else, um, maybe virtually. Could be this. Could be Zoom, especially in today's environment where they, you go, hey, I just want to talk to you about your closing. It was, it was a pleasure helping you. Um, and then they do a testimonial. And that's one of the things that book Instabrain I was talking about, Steve, said is the Gen Z testimonials are far more powerful than traditional brands. They care about what people are saying about things more. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm getting trained that way. I think we all are. I mean, you know, I just had to buy a refrigerator last week. Our refrigerator went out, long story, but you go online now and, you know, I'm looking at reviews, right? I mean, if there's five reviews and this refrigerator has 2,700 reviews, it's like, oh, okay, you know. Now, I, all of a sudden, I start caring about what other people are thinking. So I think testimonials are just going to continue to get more important in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's something I have done video testimonials, Steve. I've, I've done it for about 10 years, and uh, it, was, it was interesting. And there is an authenticity of somebody screwing up on film that <laughs> – when it's too polished and it shows up into your internet or into your email, then people think solicitation. Mm -hmm. But this guy was doing a testimonial for me. I sold his house for, in, you know, I forgot how long, full price. And he called me Joe Soldera <laughs> instead of Joe Fostolo. <laughs> and then, you know, the wife did the old elbow and the elbowed him. And he's right. like, oh yeah, I mean, Fostolo. And, uh, you were the original you know, Joe Exotic, huh? <laughs> exactly. Hey, look, the best part of the movie are the outtakes and the and the bloopers at the end, right? And the, and the news bloopers. That's the best part. And look, we're in the people business. You know, we're not necessarily the the sales business. We're in the people business, and people gotta like you. 
trust you and think you're capable of doing the job. And if that's the case, you're the one they hire. And sometimes we got to like, you know, put the suit and tie down and just be a real person for a while. And if that means, you know, being tongue tied on video occasionally and, you know, doing bloopers, uh, that so happens to be life. So uh, I've come a long way on this whole video thing. The first video I ever did um, for myself and posted online was the reason why I created Masters in Real Estate because I just got done talking to the people at the coast and they, what I kept hearing is like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And I got to thinking on the drive home, I'm like, these people have been in masters for seven years and they love it, but they never heard the why, my why, right? So I was right here in this office and I just turned the phone around and just, it came out of me. I don't even know what I said. It was like a out of body experience. And, um, Anyway, a big fan of non-polished video, because if you speak from the heart, nobody cares about the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Hey, we're running a little long here today, obviously. A great conversation here. Um, I've got to kind of jet out here in a few minutes. But um, before we get out of here, Rick, I want to make sure that everybody could kind of find their way to you if they want to kind of learn more information. Maybe you can just give us a quick rundown of kind of what what it is that you offer and really do for people just so that it's uh it's known i guess yeah absolutely so coaching i you know most of my clients i coach every week so we do a phone call every week on the same day um i do have some clients that do an every other week call twice a month call i do that as well so either one of those are options i'd love to talk to people anybody's interested in coaching i do free you know, consultation calls just to talk about your business. You know, how is it working? What are your goals? What do you see yourself? What's your vision for your business? And what are your major challenges? And, you know, not everybody is a candidate for coaching, but there's a lot of people out there that are that I would love to talk to and, and say, hey, how can I help you grow your business? Um, so, yeah, I mean, rick at rickgray.com is my email, rick at rickgray.com. And you could get a live testimonial from Steve right here. Since yeah. 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 Uh, it's awesome. But you know what, you know what I really appreciate since we implemented it in January, we did it. Well, for one thing, Rick did a team event with me where we, we did an offsite. We went to Edgefield, McMinnon's Edgefield, rented yeah, a room fun. and some of us stayed the night and even had fun afterwards. But, um, but Rick came, he met with us. He did an all, all day offsite. You know, I, we, him and I kind of partnered up. I did half the day. He did the other half went through stats from the year prior. That was awesome. One of the takeaways that we had from that that has really even taken my coaching to another level, Rick, I don't know if, if, if you fully realize this, is the team coaching now. So now what we're doing is once a month, one of the co coaching sessions is a Zoom session with the entire team where we're all just having a conversation like this. What, how's, you know, how's this month been? What, what are you guys seeing? What are the, what are the responses? How are Zillow leads? How, you know, you know, what were the different areas? What are the challenges? It's been, it's been instrumental in general, but it's been really great during challenging times. And, and heck we're going into a different type of season now that's going to have, you know, some chaos. I, I predict some chaos and some, some challenges, but I think they're going to be a different type. I think it's going to be from, more of a capacity manner and, you know, and getting things done and staying on top of things versus, you know, the, the crisis or the, the scarcity manner. Right. So I appreciate the team component. That was the big thing I wanted to, 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 to put it out there. If, if somebody has 
Uh, you know, I, it, like you said, Rick, it's, it's not for every agent, but it, definitely if somebody has any type of, if you have a couple people working for you, I mean, it's definitely something to look into. Absolutely. Because he could help, you know, share some of the secrets and the systems and processes that, um, that others are implementing to really make that team gel and, and be cohesive. And that's the thing. It's, it's amazing how many clients I have that have been in business a long time, 10, 15 years at a certain production level, right? I mean, agents kind of get known as, you know, they do a certain amount of production every year, you know, year in and year out. And to take somebody like that and be able to double their business, it just, it blows people's minds because we're not doing anything more. I've got a, a great client of mine that, you know, she was a $4 million producer for years and just kind of dabbled in real estate, but 4 million is, you know, she's selling houses, but you know, she wanted to, coach with me. So I've been coaching her now for three years, but our first year together, she took more vacations than she's ever taken. Didn't work any more time at all. And she went to 8 million. She doubled her business first year. Then she went to 11. And then this last year she went to 13 and she's got now a full-time assistant. Um, and I asked, I asked people like that because it, it still blows my mind too. It's like, well, what are you doing differently? And it's to her, it was all mindset. It was routines, systems, and getting her mind around it, being a business and learning how to run a business, not just that solopreneur that Tucker was talking about. Mm -hmm. awesome. That's, that's, that's a great um, price range that two to $4 million broker yeah. to take them in and double their business. Yes. And it's, it's just fabulous to watch, you know, watch someone under you kind of like doubling their business and all the excitement. That's, that really is terrific. It's harder to do if you do 10 million and to, to double that. But so I have a team that was uh, in central Oregon. They started off there the year, first year we coached together the year before they did 15 million. Our first year together they did 23. Our second year together, they did 42. Our third year together they did 50. Wow. Uh, and it's funny because we talked on our first coaching call. I said, because these guys have been together for a while and they were experienced agents. I said, so what do you guys think about doing 50 million? I just threw that out there. And they literally laughed at me on the call. They thought it was funny. I mean, it's like, you know, when you're doing 15, it's hard to imagine doing 50. It just doesn't, if you don't believe it, then it doesn't really make any sense to you. Well, you know, a couple of years later, I asked them that same question. They laughed again on the call. They're like, yeah, um, now we're thinking about doing a hundred million. I said, there you go. There you go. Very cool. Awesome. All right. We got to shut up because Tucker has an appointment. <laughs> I got a one o'clock uh, with on. a fine gentleman and a nice piece of land that we may buy. So I got to go see. But cool. um, either way, we appreciate you coming on today, Rick. You Thank got a great you thing going on. Obviously, Steve is a walking testimonial for it. Um, but anybody that wants to uh, reach out to you, we encourage you to do so. And Joe, as always, thanks for hosting us here on Magic. Absolutely. Thank oh, you, thanks, Rick. Guys. Thanks, so guys. Thanks, guys. All Come right. Thanks you. for watching, everybody. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.